It's the Talking Reggae Podcast. I'm here with David Schiffman. He is a writer for Root Fire. He is the author of The Cosmic Burrito. And he is the founder and starting left wing of the Team Rasta Hockey Club. How you doing, brother? How you been, man? Good, buddy. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. And we'll talk about all that. And, you know, we might want to keep the hockey talk to a minimum because, you know, you and me might be the only hockey fans in this business. but. Uh, but I do want to, I do want to touch on that with you later for sure. Whatever you want to talk about is fine with me. Right on, man. So let's start with root. Well, no, let's not start with root fire. Let's start back to when you first got hooked on reggae. What did you hear? What, 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 what were the vibes that you were hearing that made you get hooked on this music? I appreciate that question because I usually ask that of pretty much everybody that I interview in this business yeah. uh, because uh, unlike other like types of music, I feel like there's, there's uh, a moment, you know, where, where the music like, you know, uh, resonates with people and, and they get hooked, you know, it's not, most reggae fans are, are not casual listeners. They're pretty passionate fans uh, and something usually, you know, causes that to happen. So anyway, for me, uh, it all started when I was in high school um, I believe I was a senior or might've been a junior. Uh, but I came across, uh, I was given a cassette tape by my best friend who lived next door to me, his older brother, who I really looked up to. I don't have uh, any brothers of my own. So he was kind of like a, you know, like a mm -hmm. brother from another mother. Right. He was a few years older than me. Uh, he was a big dude. He was a football player, uh, but a really smart, really smart guy and funny as hell. And he would listen to a lot of hard rock and heavy metal. And so, like, we would listen to ACDC and Van Halen and all that stuff, you know. And uh, I remember, like, learning about those bands from him. And I don't know, like, where he got it, but somehow a cassette tape ended up in my hands. And on one side was Bob Marley's Legend, right? Mm -hmm. And the other side was Peter Tosh. It was, like, a mix of songs of Peter Tosh. And that tape, like, just... It hit me so hard. I had never heard anything like it. I didn't know what it was, but all I knew was I loved it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I started doing research um, on, on, every, on reggae music and Bob Marley and everything. Actually, it wasn't too long after that that I went uh, on vacation with my family on a summer vacation. Uh, we took a cruise and we stopped in Jamaica. Mm. And... I was like leading up to that. I was like, like a lot of the crew on the ship, they were all from Jamaica. So I was like, every time I saw like somebody from, you know, the crew, I'd be asking them about Jamaica, ask them about reggae and Rasta and everything. I, I just kept asking questions and they gave me like uh, a couple of record shops to visit uh, in town when we, when we got there. And so that's what I did on my day in Jamaica. I went to record shops and I got uh, a few like cassette tapes because uh, I wasn't collecting vinyl too much back then. So I was buying like cassette, I bought like cassette tapes. And I, I remember one was Culture, um, Good Things. One was Gregory Isaac's Victim, which is like one of his albums from, like from the 80s. Yeah. And uh, I think one was I Vibes, um, maybe Strength of My Life or something like that is, you know, Israel Vibration. Uh, I don't recall uh emphatically what the last one was but anyway i just those that's like what set me on my path you know and then um i, I was probably like a senior in high school so then i went to penn state uh, university and i remember going to the library they had this massive library like i'm sure all college campuses do and literally like researching rastafarianism taking out books uh and just trying to read everything i could uh, about Rasta and how it, you know, how it ties the, to reggae music and the culture of Jamaica and so forth. So I was like literally like doing research on this for no other reason other than I just love the music and I wanted to learn about its origins and learn about, you know, um, where it came from. So, yeah. So this was pre-internet then, right? Back when we had to like find books and stuff, right? Yeah, I'm an old timer. So, uh, uh, yo, so I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm right around your age. In fact, I might even be a little bit older than you. Um, but that's, that's the way we had to do it. You know, I tell people, it's funny because these days, if you get into reggae, you can get into everything in five minutes on Spotify, you know, and it's like, nah, back in the day, man, like, we all had a copy of Legend because I think, 
Chris Blackwell putting out Legend in 83 or whenever it was that he did, that's like the best thing that ever happened to reggae music because that Legend more than anything put that out there, right? So back then it was like, all right, you got a copy of Legend and if you wanted to learn more reggae, it's like, if you don't have friends who have it, you're either buying all these different CDs or tapes and not know what you're getting and you're going to the library and reading books and stuff. It was a lot harder back then to really dig into this than it is today. And I think that's what, you know, why so many old-time reggae fans are so passionate about the music because it didn't wasn't spoon-fed to them for sure. Yeah, we had I to mean, earn even, it, man. Even in the days of like now where it is super easy and you can access like, you know, almost every recording that was ever made between YouTube or Spotify or whatever, still it's never spoon-fed to you. You have to be introduced to it and then because you know it's not going to be on the radio, right? It's not right. you're not gonna although nowadays with internet radio, you know, you, or or satellite radio, you can put on the joint. Right, um, right. You, can, you know, you can you can put on Pandora or Spotify and, you know, get those algorithms playing songs. So it is it is easier to so much easier to access. But um, I always like to talk about those days because I would like seek out the college, the reggae stations on the FM, you know, which were only usually like on Saturday or Sunday mornings yeah. uh, at the very end of the dial, you know, the college radio station. So I'd, I'd like make sure I was tuned in to those to listen to whatever reggae. I was just trying to soak it all up, you know, yeah. wherever I could get it from. Uh, and, and buying, it was mostly just buying records, you know, it wasn't, there was no streaming, man. So it yeah. Was, yeah. 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 I remember that where I, I'd want to check out an artist. So I'm like, I'll just randomly buy a CD of, of, from that artist catalog, you know, and that's, and that's how I got into Beanie Man and Buju Banton and all them other cats in the nineties and how I went back with, uh, and not, not so much Peter Tosh and Steel Pulse. Cause I, I knew them, but more the more the artists who were coming out in the 90s like i would just randomly buy a cd and you know kind of go from there yep totally yeah. um that's why like those recommendations that people made to me uh on the ship when i was going to jamaica like meant a lot you know yeah, and yeah. i was even the the artists i didn't buy records of that day because i didn't have an unlimited budget and the selection in the shop i was in was rather limited mm. um i was writing all this down so i got back home and i had a list of artists to to look up and, you know, and, and buy music of. Um, I also recall back in those days. Um, so I was buying CDs, you know, mostly, um, like a few years after that was when the CDs came out and became popular, you know, and, um, like during my college years. And I remember like a few times I, I went out to California for one reason or another. I had some friends out there, like over the next seven years or so, eight years. And I went to, um, record shop in Berkeley called uh, Amoeba Records. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a pretty no. huge, like well-known record shop uh, and they nice. have like a massive reggae collection. So I remember like going in there and uh, just being so stoked about all the different reggae they would have, you know? And so, uh, cause, cause a lot of like the mainstream, you know, record shops didn't even carry that much reggae, you know? So right. Right. yeah, you really had to, you really had to seek it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um... I think it made us really appreciate that though. I mean, I can't speak for the newer generations, but for me, it makes me appreciate that, that we had to put that kind of work into it, that it wasn't just out there for us. You know what I mean? What yep. you're saying before is right. It's like, you have to be hardcore to do that. You don't do that with something you feel lukewarm about, you know? So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So who were some of the artists you were talking about? You're starting to check all this stuff out start with Bob Marley, like most of us do start with Peter Tosh, like most of most of us did, I should say back then, it might not be the same way these days. But who were you jumping to after that? Like, who were some of among the first artists that you were like, really had on lock? Like, these are my these are my people, you know, like, these yeah, are the yeah, ones I want to listen to. Yeah, culture, for culture. sure. Uh, yeah, that was one of the first, uh, you know, albums I bought, like I said, it's yeah. good things. But then I mean, I loved culture so much and uh, I, I bought so many, they have a lot of albums and yeah, I, they do. I, was, I was snatching <laughs> up anyone I could find and yeah. um, Israel Vibration as well uh, was nice. one of my longtime favorites. Uh, Burning Spear, you know, really foundation Jamaican artists yeah. uh, for the most part. Um, the Wailing Souls, those were probably my, my most favorites. Uh, Gregory Isaacs, of course, Dennis Brown. Now you uh, and I got a lot in common, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all the... What, what I didn't really know, it was more of those like, you know, roots, real true roots reggae mm -hmm. artists um, that I immersed myself in early. 
Um, I was, it took me like a while to come around to learn more about uh, reggae music before that. Like, mm. you know, early reggae music, dance, early dance hall music, yeah. sound system culture. I mean, there's so many facets to reggae music that we can talk about. Uh, but, and, you know, even today, like I still, I'm still learning things. I'm always learning things. I'm not an expert by any means, you know, but like, um, you know, but I have been listening to this now for like, you know, over 30 years. So, yeah. um, so I do, you know, I have a pretty decent knowledge of, uh, I think a well-rounded knowledge of the history of reggae and stuff. But, um, yeah, so it was those Jamaican foundational artists. And then I remember, uh, another artist that was really, uh, really resonated with me and I, and I grew to love quickly, but I didn't find out till a little bit later on, probably around 91 ish was, uh, Alpha Blondie. Mm. Alpha Blondie is just tremendous, you know, and uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard him because I was getting my first tattoo uh, and and it, that's what was playing in the tattoo shop. And I'm oh, like, nice. you know, who is this uh, artist? <laughs> and so like as soon as I got out of there, I, I was looking for Alpha Blondie music and like, you know, trying to research who he was and, um, you know, so because he's he's a really interesting artist, how he, you know, he sings in like six different languages. Yeah. And, he is, you know, so popular worldwide. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's another one that, that I've been listening to for a long time. Yeah, nice. Nice. That's great. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on. In fact, I, I when I first asked if you wanted to be on, you were kind of like, why? <laughs> like, why do you want me to be on? Well, that's the reason, man. It's it's your knowledge. I, I want this. This isn't this podcast I do. Is, it's not just to interview artists. It's I want to have a discussion with everyone who's involved with reggae and as a writer and as the well-rounded listener that you are. I mean, I think it's great. The, the whole purpose of, of this podcast is to spread new vibes to different people, right? Mm -hmm. So you got people who know a lot about new school reggae and not so much about old school and vice versa. It's like everybody's learning about new stuff. Someone tunes in and hears you talk and now it's like, now they know Alpha Blondie because you brought that up, right? So, so that's what I'm trying to do with getting people from all different areas of reggae to just come on and just talk reggae for a little while. So tell me how you got involved with root fire and it's rootfire.net and you guys cover the modern reggae scene. Right. And, um, tell me how you got involved writing with root fire. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'd like to like different, you know, be specific. We, we cover yeah. all of the reggae scene, right. you know? So, uh, and I'll actually talk about that because when I first, um, linked up with root fire, I would say that the, we were predominantly covering the modern American reggae scene. Mm. Um, but as of now, we're fully covering, you know, a lot of foundational reggae because really it's been our quest uh, in recent years to uh, educate uh, maybe the, the fans who are newer to reggae about the foundational artists and, and also just give props and, and respect and, and help promote uh, those foundational artists. Um, not, you know, not that, they need us to be promoted, but still like the more people that, um, you know, I, I've, I've, since I've discovered reggae music, I've been about promoting, uh, reggae music in every way, shape or form. I just think it's, I mean, it's, it's my greatest passion. It's what I live for reggae music. And so I feel like it brings joy to the world, light to the world, power to the people. Uh, and so I'm always going to be, you know, trying to, to big up reggae music in any way possible. So, uh, Root Fire has actually, uh, really been a good fit for me. Um, the way, uh, I linked up with them. It's kind of cool. Um, it all started. You want the long story or the or the or the short story? We got plenty of time, man. Give me the long story. All right. So the long story, uh, which isn't too long, but I'll give you you know <laughs> the whole story. Um, do you know the band Tataka? Yes. Okay, out of Denver. Yes. So um, this was back probably about eight or nine years ago. Um, about eight years ago, I'm guessing maybe. I um, I went to go see. I was a huge stick figure fan. And it was Stick Figures. I think it was his first or second headlining tour. Like mm. I had seen him, you know, perform uh, opening for other artists, but this was his headlining tour. And we went to go see him at this tiny little club down in Asbury Park called The Saint, which to this day remains like my favorite venue. And the opening band, um, actually, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up my experiences. We went, I went to go see him in Philadelphia. Um, on the same tour, but the Saint came after. So I was, I went to go see him in Philly on a Thursday night and then the Saint was on Saturday night. Uh, but anyway, 
So opening for Stick Figure at the Hard Rock Cafe in Philadelphia was Tatanka. And I had never um, heard them before, but I really dug like their sound. And there was like barely anybody in the place. And, um, you know, after the show, after their set, they came out and I just started talking to them at their merch table and uh, getting to know them a little bit. And lo and behold, turns out that Stick was heading up to Boston the next night, uh, but they weren't they weren't going to Boston. And then Saturday night, Stick was coming back down to the area and going to play the Saint in, in Asbury Park. And they were on that bill. So they had like a free night. So I was like, well, what are you guys going to do with your night off? And they're like, oh, like, we don't really know. You know, I'm like, well, I got a house at the beach that I rented for the week because I was on vacation that week with my friend. And I'm like, you guys want to come and hang out at the beach? It's, it's actually the next town over from where you're performing Saturday night. And they're like, yeah. So um, they came, they stayed at our house. Uh, and we ended up hanging out the whole weekend. And long story short, I became friends with those guys. And fast forward a year or two, uh, maybe three. And they were playing, Tatanka was playing Brooklyn one night, and I was hanging out with them before the show, uh, talking to their guitarist, Nate, and I was just talking to them, like, you know, what's, what's going on with the music? You know, what do you guys, what, what do you have coming out? And I don't recall at the time what album they were putting out, um, but they were, they were, like, had just put one out or were about to put one out, and Nate had mentioned, oh, we have uh, those guys over at Root Fire are helping us promote it. I'm like, oh, you know, what's Root Fire? And he's like, oh, it's kind of like a management company sort of thing so um i just looked them up and they had a website with like articles about reggae so i started reading every article that they uh would publish and there was a place where you can like comment on the articles and i'd always like comment you know whatever i had to say about the article and that went on for i don't know maybe five six months maybe longer i'm not really sure and then one day uh seth herman who founded root fire uh, and was, I guess, the editor-in-chief. Pretty much he was Rootfire at that time, uh, plus a few other writers, like freelance writers that he had. But he he was pretty much Rootfire. Uh, he he reached out to me, and he, he just was like, hey, man, I noticed you're following our content. You know, um, you seem to to really like what we're doing. He's uh, like, I'd love to connect with you, just learn a little bit about you and what brought you to reggae music and so forth. So we got on the phone and chatted one day, and I told him, you know, uh, told him kind of about what I'm just telling you right now, you know, about my longtime passion for reggae and how I found out about Root Fire and uh, that I was a writer and that I, I used to actually write for reggae magazines back in the 90s. Um, and that's where I got my start in, in terms of writing about reggae. And that's a whole nother story. But um, anyway, long story short, he sort of said one day he was like, hey, you know, um, I'd love to for you. Oh, I know what it was. And I also told him, like, I like to make a lot of mixes. You know, I'm not like a DJ or anything, but I, I would always make tons of reggae mixes. Like I have mixtape upon mixtape of all reggae mixes, which I would give to friends. Uh, and always, like I said, trying to spread reggae music, promote reggae music. So I would tell him I would love to make these mixes. And so uh, it started out where he's like, hey, I know you're a writer. He's like, how about, um, you know, would you want to like write an article for us? So I was like, sure, you know, why not? So I think the first thing I ever did was this little little article about Giant Panda Gorilla Dub Squad. Uh, I think it was like a, a Giant Panda release or something. Um, and then I did like a um, an article about the Peter Tosh uh, Memorial. Um, and so I just started doing an article here and there. And then Seth uh, had this great idea where he uh, had this idea for like a multimedia sort of uh, series or feature, which was a photo, uh, a photo is worth a thousand songs. And so basically what he proposed was he linked me up with, uh, this photographer guy that he, he knew out in Colorado. His name's Eric Solberg, who's now one of my closest friends and, or one of my best friends. Uh, and he, um, basically he had this concept where Eric would have photographs and he would give them to me or present them to me. And I would write anything I wanted to about the photographs, whatever they, whatever they inspired in me. And then I would make a playlist on Spotify of music to go along with the pros and the photos. And we called it a photos worth a thousand songs. And so Eric and I just connected and, you know, we did about 20 of those and uh, it, it went on, like we just kept it going. And uh, we, I think we haven't done one now in, in close to a year. Like the last one we did was, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, but we, we still intend to do it. Um, but it's, it's been, so it's been kind of cool because I've been writing, uh, for Roof Fire, but that's the one like kind of content that I write that is 
not reggae specifically related to, you know, reggae specifically. It could be about anything. So, and it's usually about sort of nature and, and, and our interaction with nature and things like that, because Eric lives in the mountains in Colorado and like li literally just goes hiking with his dogs all the time. And all his photographs are, you know, in the mountains and different places throughout the, the Western United States. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's how uh, I linked up with, with uh, Root Fire. I mean that, and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, eventually Seth decided he wanted to get out of the music business and he, he was having a baby and stuff. And so mm -hmm. he, uh, he passed along Root Fire to um, the current general manager, which is Reed Foster. And, you know, along with that, he passed me along. <laughs> you know, I, uh, Reed and I became uh, friendly. And of course, I, I just kept writing. And then eventually Root Fire was uh, acquired by uh, Ineffable Management. Uh, and I don't know if actually that that probably happened. That actually happened, I think, before uh, Seth. Um, you know, got out of the out of the game. So I'm kind of telling you a little bit out of order. But yeah, he he basically sold Root Fire to Ineffable and stayed on with Ineffable. Uh, but but Root Fire at that time had started out as a management company. Uh, and when it got sold to Ineffable, sort of transitioned. And Ineffable is a management company in itself. So they sort of usurped Root Fire's managerial business, yet kept Root Fire on board as like a promotional sort of arm, if you will, like through the website and the content. And that's kind of how it exists today. Uh, except that, you know, we've grown to do a lot more things and do the Root Fire Cooperative and things like that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, uh, the history of it. Can you give me one second? I just have to let my cat out of here because he's sure. scratching. Sure, sure man. <laughs> Get out. Scram. Come on. Now he's standing in the doorway deciding what he wants to do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's really cool. It's always really cool when things like that start organically, you know what I mean? Like you, you dug what they were doing. So you started commenting and the next thing you know, you're, you're involved with it. That I love, I love those. Those make the best stories because there's nothing contrived about it. It's, it's passion, you know, it's, it's just passion across the board for everybody. Who are some of the artists that you've had the most fun covering for Root Fire? I know you go out and before the pandemic, see shows and like we all used to. And, and I know you covered a lot of those artists. Who are some of the, the ones that you really enjoyed the interview part of? Well, gosh, uh, that's a tough question because they're really, uh, I really enjoy all of them. But I'd have to say, um, most recently, I, I had the privilege of um, interviewing uh, Miles Dottie of Slightly Stupid. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah, and oh, cool. And uh, we did that via Zoom. I read your work, man. What's that? I read oh, your work. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and I just love, I mean, I've been a huge stupid fan since like, you know, about for about 20 years. So I had never met uh, him uh, or, or Kyle. Um, so that was a thrill uh, just to be able to connect with him and get to know him a little bit. And such a nice guy. Plus, it was over Zoom, which is really cool because uh, yeah. it's, you know, most of my interviews are via email. Uh, it's just easier that way. Uh, sometimes they're over the phone, but that was uh, one of the only ones that I've done via Zoom. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, also, I, I had the privilege of interviewing Ziggy Marley a few years ago. And oh, yeah, was, I remember that one. That was pretty special. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ziggy is like, you know, he is, he is just, he's one of my top favorite reggae artists of all time. I have huge yeah. amount of admiration and love for him. And just a sweet dude. Yeah. Just like a sweet dude, man. You know, he, just a, he, just a nice guy. He's awesome. He's yeah. so awesome, and and his music is is just it's it's as good as it gets. Yep. And so that was a real honor, um, as well. You know, yeah. um, I also uh, was pretty thrilling. I got to talk, uh, do a phone interview with uh, Al Anderson of the Whalers. Nice. Um, so that was pretty thrilling as well. You know, yeah. here I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking to foundational artists that you know it doesn't get more more uh, reggae than, than Al Anderson and the Whalers, you know, so Ziggy uh, Marley, you know, so, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, yeah so I, I, I'd have to say that those are probably the most, um, the, the interviews that I've done that are, you know, the most, most special to me. Yeah. Um, back in the day when I was writing in the nineties, uh, I actually had interviewed Burning Spear um, uh, over the phone, which was, you know, pretty awesome. Um, and I had I'd done a face-to-face -face interview with Lucky Dubé. Do you remember Lucky Dubé? Oh, yeah, man. I'm a big Lucky fan. 
Me too. Yeah. I love Lucky Dubé. And yeah. I had done an interview with him, um, you know, like in a, in a, you know, face to face and like in, in person. Um, so that was a, a huge thrill as well. Um, yeah. 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 I'm a, I'm a big lucky fan. It was, um, when he passed out, I was extremely sad. That was a really sad day, man. But, um, I want to say something about slightly stupid because you brought them up. One thing that I really admire about them is they pay tribute to the artists that came before them. They bring them out on the road. Not a lot of bands do that. And it's really cool to see, like for me personally, Fishbone is one of my favorite bands. They brought Fishbone out on the road. A lot of people don't want to bring Fishbone out on the road because Fishbone will blow any band off the stage. It's just, it's, it's, it's the truth. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever saw it. Have you ever seen um, Everyday Sunshine, which is the documentary of Fishbone? You ever get a, yeah, if you ever get a chance to check that out, it's a the really interesting story. But the, they've basically got a lot of really famous rockers talking about how much they love and admire Fishbone. You know, and Fishbone, basically, they're not living the lives of, of a rich, rich rock stars, right? And they, they absolutely should be. They're as good as any of those bands. And you wonder... Why don't more of those bands bring Fishbone out if they love them so much? Well, Slightly Stupid did. And they're not the only ones that Slightly Stupid has brought out there with them and show people, yo, this is where this comes from. You know, so I have a lot of admiration for Slightly Stupid for that reason. I love beyond their music. You know what I mean? Obviously, the music is great. But beyond that, I got a lot of respect for them. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. You know, and uh, Miles, you know, talked a little bit about that in um, the interview that I'd done, you know, last month or whatever. Um, you know, like obviously Don Carlos uh, yeah. plays with them all the time. Yeah. Uh, Half Pint, you know, I love Half Pint. And Half Pint, uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, they, they've, they've been great that way. And, uh, you know, um, you know, I have to confess, Fishbone isn't a band that I know a lot about uh, or have I listened to a lot of. So that's actually, you know, sometimes... Um, I actually spend so much time listening to like new music, yeah. uh, looking for like bands I want to promote and things like that. And um, I also don't only listen to reggae music. You know, yeah. I'm a huge fish head. So I listen to fish yeah. a lot and a lot, of, a lot of bluegrass music. So mm. point being, sometimes I don't like, I forget about artists that I want to explore from back, back then, you know? Yeah. So oh, that, sure. Glad we're having this conversation because I kind of want to dig in a little bit there. Well, there's so much, man. I mean, we can't catch everything. There's just there's just so much. But yeah, um, and and, and that's a good one because because you're you know you're like me. You like beyond reggae. And I've I've often joked if I'm not listening to reggae, I'm probably listening to Fishbone. You know, because that's um, they're they're just. I saw them a couple times in the mid '90s. And my wife for years, we never got to see Fishbone. They never came around where we live. But I kept telling her, this is the greatest live band of all time. And that sounds like hyperbole. So she's like, yeah, right, whatever. A couple summers ago, they come out here to Kansas City. We go to see Fishbone. And as we're walking out, she's like, you're right. That was the greatest live band I've ever seen in my life. The energy that comes off of Fishbone is just just crazy. So I can understand if a lot of bands don't want to have them out to open for them. But but yeah, man, I mean, it's it's a mixture of, you know, funky stuff and some reggae and some ska and some punk and some metal. It's like they're all over the board. So, yeah, if you get a chance, check them out, man. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's not like I don't know them at all. I just right. I, I haven't like spent a lot of time listening to them, but I'm familiar with like, you know, their their cross genre uh, you know, unique take on, on what they do. So, yeah. um, and I know that, you know, they, Miles had said that that was like the great, their greatest influence, you know, was Fishbone. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. They're, they're one of those bands, like they're just so eclectic. They just do whatever they want. And most bands don't, don't do it like that. And I really dug that about them, um, coming up on them in like the late eighties, early nineties, they were just my favorite, my favorite band going on back then. Let's, um, Let's transition to talk about your life as an author. You've written a great book. I, I dug it, um, The Cosmic Burrito. And, and it ties in with this too, because, you know, for me, I was hooked. You started talking about Peter Tosh pretty early. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, here, here we go. So, so talk about where it's, it's a really cool road story, really, you know, and it, it's, it's a story. I, I couldn't relate to it personally because I never went on that, like, 
a lot of people go on soul searching adventures when they're young. I didn't get to do that. So for me, it was almost like living vicariously through those characters. Like, wow, I would have loved to have done this when I was that age, you know? Yeah. So how much of it was based in your own history? How, like, tell, tell me all about how that, that, that book came about. Sure. Uh, I'd love to. Uh, um, so yeah, so not only do I mention Peter Tosh early in the book, but the main character in the book was named Tosh. Named Tosh. Yeah. After, after. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, so uh, actually, give me one second. I got to let the cat back in. All right. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come here. All right. Sorry for the dead air, dude. Hey, no this worries. Is, no this worries. This is Ralphie. He's one of my four four uh, cats, and he's a kitten, and he's he's a little bit of a uh, nuisance at times. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm a cosmic burrito. So, um, so basically, the whole book is based on um, you know stuff that I that I did. Uh, mm -hmm. I drove cross country when I was 19 uh, with two friends. We bought a '73 Dodge van and um, drove cross country with no real like plan other than we wanted to catch um, some dead shows out in California and uh, visit a couple of different places. Uh, we wanted to go to uh, this with my, my one friend that I was with is a huge like windsurfing enthusiast. So he wanted to go to a couple of places to windsurf. One was Hood River, Oregon, and the other was uh, this tiny little place in on Vancouver Island. So um, that was like it. So we really had no like place we had to be at and like no agenda. So it was just like driving for the sake of driving. It was ultimate freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we were we were uh, underage, so to speak, because I was only 19, but you know, we had our ways and we had like two like we had two beds in the back of the van, like it was like an L shape that were like benches. Uh, so you can open up, you know, underneath and we had all coolers in there and like full of beer and you know, uh, all of our food and stuff. And so we, we went out and, uh, we were on the road for about five weeks. Um, we would have been out there longer, but our van died and it was getting close to the end of the summer and we had to get back to college. So we had to kind of like cut it short and we ended up selling our van and flying home from Arizona, which is because wow. we just didn't have time to get it fixed or the money to get it fixed. Yeah. Looking back now, I like so regretful that I, I sold that van for like a few hundred a few hundred bucks. I uh, wish we, wish we could have managed to keep it. Um, but you know, it will always live forever in my mind. Uh, it was, it was the best, one of the greatest memories that I ever have was that driving, you know, as a, just, just living in a van and driving around, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with that freedom and discovering places in the country and Canada that I had never been to. Uh, I had I've had the good fortune of traveling quite a bit, uh, throughout my life, but I had never, that was the first time I had seen other parts of the country other than like Florida or yeah. Vermont, um, being from the East coast. But, um, so, so the, that was like the basis of the, um, story. But then also, um, I was very blessed, uh, as a senior in college to do this program called semester at sea, hmm. where it was my final semester of college. It was actually my ninth semester. So I was like a fifth year senior. And I went, um, basically I lived on a ship for a hundred days for a semester and it, it departed out of Vancouver. And then we went around the world. We sailed around the world for three months and then it, uh, came into port in new Orleans. And that was, that was the journey. And the way the program works is that when you're at sea, you have class every day. And then when you, we stopped at 10 different countries uh, along the way. And when you would come into port, you'd have anywhere from like two to five days in whatever country that you're visiting. And when your ship comes into port, you have no classes or anything. You're free to go anywhere you want in that country and do anything you want. The only rule that you have is to be back on the ship at whatever time they say you need to be back on to depart. Okay. And if you're not back on time, you're getting left in that country. So, uh, yeah, so it's like find your way to the next country or find your way home wherever you are. So um, that was like the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. And to this day, I still think about, you know, that trip all the time. And it really um, created, it kind of made me 
a part, really had a, an influence on who I am, the person I am today. Uh, and I, and so the, the cosmic burrito, what it, what it did is I, I based, um, the journey, the story on the trip I took driving cross country, but I, we, I found a way to weave in a lot of the adventures that I had mm. had from the international travels on semester at sea. And of course it's all done, not as a memoir, but as a fictional book with yeah. fictional characters, but it's a lot, you know, other than certain elements that are clearly not reality, uh, the other elements are all based on like, you know, real stuff that I did done and people that I met along the way and stuff. Yeah. Well that comes through, man. I don't think you can really write a book like that without having gone through all that stuff, you know, and that, that absolutely comes through in the book. So, and I, and I like that. I like taking reality and, and fictionalizing it. It gives it an extra, it gives it, you know, a warmth. It, it makes it a story now, you know, rather than just a bunch of little tales that you could tell. But I, I really dug that book, man. It was, it was actually the, it was the first book I've ever read on Amazon Kindle. That was the, the distinction for that was like, that was the first time where I was like, all right, let me, let me try. I've always been like about books, like actual paper books, but I was like, nah, I'm going to jump into the new century and I'm going to read this book on, on my phone. And I did. So that's your book has the distinction being the first book I ever read on my phone. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I'm <laughs> glad that, and you know, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, one of the things you said a little while ago about, you know, living vicariously through the characters. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that, you know, a lot of people do that when they read, that's why we read. Right. But uh, that that in that comment in particular has been told to me by a lot of people yeah. who read the book, like specifically that they, you know, never had the opportunity to drive across the country, yeah. but they were able to like get a feel like they were along for the ride with the characters and kind of feel like yeah. they actually took the trip with them. Uh, and I, and a few other people, you know, over the years have told me that uh, the book inspired them to actually take a trip of their own like that. And that yeah. is like the best compliment I could ever receive because that's really like what my one of my goals was in writing the book so it certainly made me want to do that man you know i like i didn't really go to college i didn't so i didn't have a lot of those experiences that young people normally try to have when you're 18 19 20 years old so it was cool for me to read that and you know and half half regretfully also because it's like man i should have this is i should have done that you know when i was young i, I was never I was never good at being in the moment. So I was never good at saying, I'm young, I should go out and do this. Like, nah, I, I finished high school and I got a job and I went to work every day. You know what I mean? It was like- Yeah, you were like burdened with responsibilities like most people, right? Well, well I don't know, man. I, because I look back and I go, I didn't have to do that. I could have, you know, I could have made my own way, but I went out and did what I thought was expected of me. You know, I went and I had to get my own place to live and I had to work and all that. Now it's like, man, why didn't I do that stuff back then? I should have just done that. So it's half regretfully, but it's cool that I got to read that and say, oh, you know, the experience that you had and kind of live through that for a minute. So, so that was, uh, that was super cool. Um, but definitely a good book. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube, definitely check out the cosmic burrito by, uh, author David Schiffman. It's, uh, it's really I guess it's the highest compliment I could give any book, which is it is definitely worth reading. It's worth, <laughs> that's, I say that about movies too. Is it, it's, it, to me, it's either worth reading or watching or it's not. You know what I mean? And worth reading, worth reading. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, nowadays, like, um, you know, it's hard to get people to read books, including yeah. like, I don't even read that much, to be yeah. honest. You like, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I spend a lot of time doing other things, like, like, it's, it's people like tend to choose TV. Like I, I know some people that are, that are really passionate readers and I admire them so much because I'm a writer and I don't even read a lot, you know, like I just, I also really am a huge fan of like film. Uh, I was a film major in, in college, you know, so like, and I was also an actor uh, in my earlier uh, days. So like, I really do enjoy watching a good film or a good television series. And there's so many of them now. Oh, man. Uh, so, <laughs> reading is work, you know, let's be honest. Like, you know, you kind of have to yeah. work. At it. So, and to read a book, that's a large time commitment. So, yeah. you know, I'm always very appreciative when people tell me they read my book. Cause I know like nowadays it's not such an easy thing to do is to read a book. It's not the most popular thing in the world. I, I read a lot but it's all nonfiction. I love reading biographies and stuff. And it'll take me weeks to read a book because it's a couple pages a day, you know? 
Um, and in fact, I, your, your book might be the last bit of fiction that I read. And this is going back, I don't remember how long ago I read it, maybe four years ago or something like that now. But that's probably also the last time I read fiction. So that's another compliment I can give to you was that uh, no other fiction has come along since that I've wanted to read. Thank you, man. Thanks a lot. Let's, let's get back to talking reggae full time for the time we have left here. Uh, and of course, you got to remember to talk hockey at the end. It's, it's going to happen. So what, what are you looking forward to when the pandemic is over and we can all go back out again? Concerts are coming around. What are you looking to do in 2021? So um, obviously go to shows and festivals for sure. Um, although, you know, I'm probably not going to be rushing out to do so. I'm, I tend to be one of those people that's a little bit more cautious. Yeah, I am too. Um, yeah, when it comes yeah. to this pandemic. So um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm older too. Uh, I've been trying to get myself in better shape uh, just in case I do, um, you know, get, get sick that I, my body's in as good a condition to, to yeah. you know, to deal with it. But um, one of the things that I look forward to, so, I mean, there's been, this has been a rough year. I mean, you know, it's been brutal for so many people. Uh, and most importantly, so many people have lost loved ones. Uh, they've lost their livelihoods, their jobs. It's been, it's been brutal. And I would never, um, you know, want to have this experience. But that being said, I tend to be the kind of person that tries to find silver linings and look on the positive side. And for me, there's a lot of silver linings in my own personal life to be had in this year. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, one of the things that we did was we had, uh, I have a friend that owns a, an, an amazing campground here in New Jersey that we love to spend a lot of time at. And he's got uh, a barn uh, that he's got like a whole PA set up, you know, like a back line and lighting rig and he has live music. And so uh, he usually, he's a big fish head and we're, you know, we're, that's how I, I became friends with him. So he, he often has like fish tribute bands play and Grateful Dead bands and things like that. Like, um, so I'm really into that kind of music as well. Uh, but coming into 2020, uh, he had asked me and another friend that, uh, that I'm, that's like my sister from another mother, my friend Sarah, uh, who's really, really into reggae music and has like a deep, deep, you know, knowledge of the history of reggae, uh, you know, like similar to, to us. Uh, she's been a fan for years and years and years. Anyway, he had asked us if we could help uh, throw like a reggae event at his campground. And so we had planned this whole uh, weekend long festival, uh, reggae festival for, for May. Uh, of course, uh, you know, we had six bands lined up, a sound system. It was going to be epic. Uh, and that uh, had to get canceled because of the pandemic. Uh, that was, that was pretty, pretty brutal. That was probably the thing that I felt most uh, sad about uh, having, you know, been a casualty of the pandemic. However, uh, when here in New Jersey, things uh, towards, you know, the middle to the late, late of the summer, the, the COVID uh, cases amount was like really low. Uh, so, um, you know, there was some freedom to do things. And we decided to resurrect the reggae weekend uh, for um, but on a much scaled down version mm. uh, because we couldn't have as many people. And, it was, and instead of having the show in the barn, uh, we had it outdoors. He has a pavilion. So we had an outdoor show. So anyway, I'm, I'm probably giving you the long story here, but um, it, we had an amazing time. We scaled it down to two bands and the sound system. Uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, the setting on this beautiful campground was, was fantastic. Everybody had a blast. So uh, we've already scheduled um, the 2021 version. But what what uh, I learned a lot about uh, booking bands and stuff like through that and, and just putting on a show uh, still have way more to learn. But I think what I'd like to try to do in 2021 is is uh, do some more of that uh, in 2021 and beyond. Do some more of that for local uh, reggae shows, find outdoor venues um, that, um, would be cool to, and, and try to, you know, get, get, uh, help out some of the local reggae bands in my area, New York city, New Jersey area. Uh, just, just try to, you know, put some shows together. Um, because, uh, again, it's just another way of, of helping do further reggae music and bring good times to the people and things like that. Nice, man. Nice. I, I love your attitude about just trying to spread it, just trying to promote it. Um, I, I love, I love people who love something enough that, they want to share that with the whole world, you know, and that's, that's what you're doing. Who are some of the artists that you haven't 
covered or interviewed yet or met or any of that that you would like to? Hmm. Good question. Um, Cause I know you've let a lot by now, but, yeah, but I, there's, I, I, there's I, gotta be I, some, I, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> um, so um, one of my, I, I did fulfill one of my dreams by uh, writing about the Agrolites. Uh, they're actually on my shirt here. One of yeah. my favorite bands for a long time. And they hadn't really done anything for a while. They were sort of, you know, on hiatus from making records. And yeah. so they, they put out a record in 2019, I think it was. And um, so I was able to uh, do a premiere for that. And that was, I was thrilled about that. Nice. Um, but, you know, you know, there's an artist uh, that I really love a lot that I don't know personally or haven't written about. And that's a band out of L.A. called Arise Roots. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think they, have, they have an album that came out uh, this year, um, uh, which I think is it's my favorite album of the year. Mm. Um, and so that's probably an artist that one day I'd like to I'd like to cover. Um, you know, I, I could think about like foundational artists but there's so few left, yeah. Uh, you know, like, yeah, man. That, yeah. You know, like it's like losing toots this year was, was brutal. brutal. I would have loved to have written about toots. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, mm. and, and, uh, so I, I don't know. I'd have to really, like really think about that. Um, are there any other artists that I'd really, yeah, I don't know. I have to think about it for a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Man. No, no, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I who I have, because like, like I've really been like fortunate to write about uh, a lot of my favorite bands, like man. Panda, um, The yeah. Movement, you know, Stick Figure. Um, I love a lot of the, mo the modern, you know, like a lot of the modern artists that, uh, that I've, I've already covered them. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, so yeah, I'd have to think about it. Yeah, I'm like that when I think about who haven't I seen live that I want to see? And it's, there's, there's fewer and fewer every year. Cause I keep going out and seeing them, you know? Um, but I, I, I feel that same way where it's like, hey, there's not, there's not that many left, but there's definitely some that I, that I really gotta, that I really gotta catch. Well, we can start wrapping this up, man. You've been very gracious with your time. You've given us a lot of, lot of knowledge and I love the, the experiences you've had. And I appreciate you pushing that forward to the younger generations. You and I had a discussion a while back when the George Floyd stuff was going on about people needing to stand up. Now's the time for people to stand up to say, you know, especially in the reggae community, there were some things I didn't see a lot because I don't pay attention to a lot of social media, but I know a lot of people were getting pretty upset with some of the bands not taking a strong enough stance. And, and what you were saying was you were like, you know, there's nothing wrong with the party bands, but it's time to stand up. And I know you took a stand about that and saying, no, nah, it's time for people to stand up. Um, and that's something else I noticed. And I appreciate that. And because I, I do the same thing you do, man, I'm always trying to push this out. You know, always trying to stand up for, for reggae music, for the original reggae music and where it comes from and to let people know where it came from and why we need to be respectful of the things that we need to be respectful of. And so that's another thing that I, I appreciate that you did there uh, this summer. So in I mean, reggae, music, reggae music is born of oppression. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been a, a voice of the people and a voice of rebellion and, and bringing people together to stand up for their rights. And, um, you know, most of the reggae artists that I deal with and have met over the years, like most people, um, they know that they, yeah. that's what brought them to reggae. They're reggae musicians yeah. because, you know, they love reggae music and, and that's what they love about it. So, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, some bands that, um, perhaps got into reggae through the reggae rock world. Maybe, you know, their first taste of reggae music was like sublime or, mm -hmm. or slightly stupid or something like that, or, you know, but, and, and so maybe they don't, they don't, you know, necessarily feel that way. But I feel like most of the, you know, the artists that I deal with have a deep respect um, for the roots of reggae and, and reggae's role um, in the world. It's, it, it's, it's not, I remember like what we were talking about, it wasn't only just about um, like the bands per se, but the fans. The like, fans, I, yeah. I feel like reggae fans, like mm -hmm. I feel like you don't even deserve to listen to reggae music if you can't get behind, yeah. you know, the call for social 
justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so that's where I get like kind of steamed is just that people are, you know, enjoying reggae music without necessarily standing up for what I believe is right. So, uh, and what, what yeah. most reggae musicians who started the genre, yeah. uh, and you know, uh, would believe what is right, you know, the side that they would be on. So, but that's, that's a yeah. whole nother, uh, conversation that we can have some other time. Yeah, man. I was surprised and I felt naive because I was like, where did all this sentiment come from? Like, where, where did all this come from that it's not about social, you know, I, when, when did, when did people start taking social justice the the spiritual aspect all of these things out of right like i must have slept through that so this whole thing that happened this summer was like eye opening for me i got to pay more attention to what's going on in in the scene yeah i mean the i actually have had this conversation uh with with people um but like it's not that like every reggae song uh, or every artist has to sing about uh you know causes social right. causes all the time i mean even in like foundational like reggae music like lovers rock there's an entire genre of reggae that has nothing to do with uh it's 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 their love songs you know and even like legend like half half the songs or more than half the songs on legend the most popular reggae album in the world yep. are love songs you know right. so it's right. you know reggae music isn't always about that necessarily mm-hmm. and so i don't have a problem with artists singing songs that are relevant to their own lives and their own experiences that's authentic to them you know yeah. i don't think it's a problem that they use reggae as a vehicle to express themselves uh even though they may not be from jamaica or whatever but i think that they need to pay homage you know pay respect to where reggae music came from and never forget that yeah and i appreciate that man i I saw that your message was really coming across at that time so you know big up to you along with all the artists who who stood up for that thanks in closing we got to talk hockey man because i I started playing hockey when I was three years old. I grew up um, outside of Philly only till I was about 10 years old. Then I moved to Florida. And so I kept playing hockey in South Florida, but this was pre Florida Panthers. So there wasn't a lot of people down there playing hockey. There was like two ice rinks down there. So I I kept playing, played high, you know, through high school. Um, When I moved out here, I started coaching high school hockey uh, I used to play pickup games and now I got too many damn injuries now. So I just, I, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to be able to keep playing guitar if I keep playing hockey because I was having problems with my hands. So I, I had to stop playing, but of course still a huge hockey fan. I got, I got my gritty shirt on for you, man. My, <laughs> so, uh, so tell me the team Rasta hockey club. And at one of these points, I'm going to have to get a Jersey off you also, but tell me how team Rasta hockey club came about. So uh, first of all, I didn't know I didn't know you had those East Coast roots, man. I always just yeah. thought you were from Texas, you know. No, like, no, I, I moved I moved out here about fifteen years ago. But I oh. but yeah, I, I lived I lived in Philly till I was ten, and then I lived in South Florida until I was twenty five. So okay, yeah, because yeah, when we had first uh, linked up, you were already in Kansas, I think. Yeah. And yep, yep, you no, know, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, anyway, so Team Rasta. So um, I I um. I started playing hockey when I was a teenager. Um, I was never really like a, uh, I wasn't a youth, I never I didn't play as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always a huge hockey fan, uh, but I didn't like lace up skates until I was, you know, much older than most people who get their start playing hockey. And I didn't do it in the context of a, a coach team. It was uh, just playing on the lake, the frozen lake in town, you know, but we used to play street hockey every day. I mean, every day from like, Middle school through high school, after after school, we'd go and we'd play street hockey. So I was a huge hockey fan, just not an ice hockey player for, for too long. Anyway, um, I played um, in a little bit in high school in like what they call like a house league. And then I played uh, intramurals at Penn State, you know. So I, And then when I got out of uh, school, I started playing men's league recreational hockey. And I played for a few years on uh, uh, various teams. And I had always like had this idea that I wanted to start my own team and call it Team Rasta, and, like, again, like, promoting reggae music through, like, circles that are not typical, you know, I just thought it would be cool to have this hockey team called Team Rasta, where all the players had, like, Jamaican nicknames, and so the time came where I was just, like, I was playing on a team, I didn't really like the guy that was running the team, Mm -hmm. and I had enough friends that played hockey that I'm, like, I think I could put together my own team, and I did that, and it was, like, 20... (laughs) 
20 over 20 years ago now. Oh, man. Um, and you know, that's what we did. We, we, I called the team Rasta. And so I've been running this team now for over 20 years. Uh, and for a while I actually was running two teams. I had another team called the Whalers, which, uh, was not like the Hartford Whalers, but like Bob Marley. The and Whale, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we had, the, we had the H, um, you know, the, the, the Hartford Whalers logo, uh, built in, uh, WH instead of Hartford Whalers, though, it was Whalers hockey, you know? Nice. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of the same guys on both teams. Um, but then, uh, so now we're just back down to team Rasta. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I've been playing, uh, my whole life. The, the first time that I stopped playing other than due to injury was this pandemic when it, yeah. when the league got shut down in like March. So, yeah. and I haven't played, um, since, but I do, that's actually one of the things I really do look forward to getting back to. Um, more so than other things, um, it, you know, when we're able to get back to some semblance of normality. Yeah. Oh, froze oh. oh there we go. Yeah. We're cool. we're, I think we're back. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I have well, a, a pretty funny story. I don't know if you want to hear about um, sure. Team Rasta, though. I, I love to tell the story um, that, um, you know, Rootfire has a weekly podcast ourselves called mm-hmm. the Reggae Pod Clash, and that's hosted by Devin uh, Morrison and Roger Rivas of the, of the Agrilites, uh, they do an amazing job. Um, have you seen that at all? I have, I've, I've, I've listened to several of them. Yeah. Yeah. So they recently had on Roger Steffens, uh, who is like, yeah, Ross Roger. Oh God, he's the best. He's the best. He, he was a big part of my, my reggae education because of the beat, because I was buying that before the internet, I was buying that magazine anytime it came out. Yes. Yep. And Roger, me as well. Uh, as far as him being like a really big influence, I had seen him um, speak uh, reggae on the river in Northern California, uh, you know, like 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I uh, had seen him uh, speak on another occasion, I think in New York City. Um, and he just is the best speaker. He gives the best stories. But anyway, um, I used to belong to this organization called Reggae Ambassadors Worldwide. And this was pre-internet days. And it was basically a grassroots networking uh, organization of reggae uh, musicians, producers, writers, and fans. Uh, Just a reggae, the international reggae community. Uh, And basically, uh, it was just, it served to promote and, you know, promote reggae music. And uh, through Reggae Ambassadors Worldwide, um, we had a conference in 1997 down in Asheville, North Carolina, which I attended. uh, And I met Roger there. And he was like a keynote speaker or whatever. And so we were, I remember like getting to know Roger, just hanging out with him, talking to him uh, at one of the, the live music events of the weekend. And I was telling him about my team, you know, Team Rasta. And I, I might have even had a, my jersey on or something. And uh, he, he loved it. He loved it. He's like, I would love a jersey of my own. So I made him a, a Rock Raja uh, awesome. jersey and sent it out to him. And he told me, that the guy who had, so the, the logo of our team, I don't have anything in here. Oh, wait, I think I just, I do. I just happen to have, this is from one of our older jerseys. Uh, it's like yeah. a patch that you sew onto the jersey. Now all the jerseys are sub- sublimated, but this is like the, the album cover from Uprising. From Uprising, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, obviously it's like adapted, you know, for a hockey logo. <laughs> but uh, I remember Roger a- 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 uh, telling me um, that the gentleman who the artist who had designed this album cover for Bob, uh, at, I forget his name, and I'm embarrassed to say that I forgot his name, but at the time, he was staying at Roger's house. And, and Roger, uh, when I send him his jersey, and he's like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm not really making any money off this. He's like, <laughs> he's like he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. You know? <laughs> um, you know, so like, he just thought it was so cool. So I'm like, oh, that's awesome, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, so... That's uh, so we've been we've been we've been promoting reggae music and like, you know, we all I try everybody new that comes to the team. I try to give them a Jamaican nickname uh, or reggae theme, you know, nickname that kind of coincides with their actual name or something about their personality. So uh, it's been a fun it's been a fun run. I hope we can get back to it. That's cool, man. I'm sure hopefully right around the corner, man, we can all get back to doing the things that we all love to do, you know? Yeah. So are you a Flyers fan? I'm a big Flyers fan, man. Yeah. Huge Flyers I'll, fan. I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll overlook that. Are you are you Rangers or are you? Yeah. De- yeah. See, yeah. no one no one in Jersey's a Devils fan. Like I don't understand how the Devils have a team because 
every time I talk to somebody from Jersey, they're either a Flyers fan or a Rangers fan. Well, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of Devils fans. And I say unfortunately because they are like the kind of fan that gets under my skin the most. Mm. Um, it tends to be people who are younger and or, or got into hockey later in life because, mm. you know, like somebody like myself, you know, there was no Devils when I became a hockey fan. So there was the Rangers yeah. and then the Devils came along and, um, you know, now it's, it's been, it's been a while, but at the yeah. time, you know, most people I know would never leave their, the love of their, the Rangers just to go to the Devils because they're from New Jersey. So yeah, why would um, anyone do yeah, that? There's plenty of fans <laughs> here, uh, but they're, they're, they're typically nowadays, like, you know, kids who are, who are coming up, they're born with the Devils in town and they live in New Jersey yeah. and maybe, you know, yeah. so they get into the Devils, but it's a great rivalry. So we have a lot of fun with, uh, you know, with, with the Devils fans and the Ranger fans. That whole East Coast corridor, uh, you know, even including Pittsburgh, who I, I can't stand. Uh, and it's funny because I grew up really hating the Rangers. But since Sid came in the league, I mean, there's no comparison. I don't even care about the Rangers compared to the like, I can't stand the Penguins like, <laughs> so much. But but that whole corridor has such great rivalries that you even get teams like that aren't always in the same division, like the Flyers and the Bruins that still have this great rivalry that goes back 40 years but um all those teams i at least got a lot of respect for those teams you know um these are hard-working teams in hard-working cities and the fans of hockey in those places are diehard man so i i have to respect that even if i don't like your team <laughs> yeah i hear you man i uh Hockey to me is, I mean, that's my second, like second greatest passion, you know? So that's where team Rasta came. I, to I me, told right? you, I told you, you and I got a lot in common, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an amazing sport. I yeah. have like such deep admiration and respect for hockey players. I think they're the greatest athletes in the world. I think it's the most cool yep. sport in the world. Um, and I'm just so proud to um, say that I, that I play that sport and um, you know, and I, I wish uh, my team was a little bit more successful. The reason why you don't, really have a, a, a hatred for the Rangers is probably because they really haven't been much of a threat lately, but I think we're, uh, we're headed on the right path. So hopefully uh, <laughs> you've won a cup more recently than the flyers have. That's all I, that's, that's all I can say. And, and I'm sure we both hated watching uh, the devils win three and the penguins win uh, four in that time also. So it's nauseating. It's yeah. Nauseating. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a football fan too. I'm a big Eagles fan. And in the early 90s, I had to suffer through, you know, the Giants, Dallas, and Washington. You know, they won between those three teams, they won four Super Bowls in a row. And here's my Eagles got nothing, you know. Right. So so I've I've been long suffering until the Eagles finally won a Super Bowl a few years ago. But I still have that Flyers thing, man. I haven't seen a Flyers cup in my lifetime. The the cups they won were right before I was born. So I'm still waiting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm still, yeah. please, please let me see a Flyers Stanley Cup in my lifetime, man. I know. I, I know. You got your Eagles. You got your Eagles trophy. I got and, uh, I the Flyers will be the next one. I do, man. I actually got an Eagles Super Bowl ring. Wow. It's not real. It's a replica. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, Bill, our bass player, who's also my brother-in-law, he got that for me. Um, his family's from Cleveland, so they suffer worse than I do in football. But it was really cool when the Eagles won that Super Bowl. He bought me that replica ring, so uh, I, that's cool, man. Really nice. I got the I got the banner hanging in the living room, so you know uh, maybe the Flyers will get their act together at some point, and we can get a championship. And it's been a long time for the Rangers now, too, man. And it's a, what, the the bummer of the Rangers for me is that they squandered the Lundquist years. I know. That's a dude who should have had, you know, a career like Brodeur, where you get two or three rings in that time, and unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. I agree with you 100%. It's, it's really sad that yeah. they uh, weren't able to uh, bring Henrik a championship. And, you know, he, he definitely threw no fault of his own. Um, and now, I don't know if you heard, like, the latest news. He's having like, mass, he had massive heart surgery. Yeah, just, just yesterday or something, right? Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to play for the Caps this uh, year, and uh, which – kind of made me sick to my stomach but at yeah. the same time like i understand the rangers have two young uh really really promising goaltenders and it's kind of time they needed to move on it's, it's time yeah but i hated to see you know henrik uh, i love henrik i have a lot of respect for him uh and think he's a great guy from what yeah. i know about him and um you know it was it was uh 
concerning to see that he had to have that surgery. Hopefully he'll be all right. And hopefully yeah. he'll get back on the ice one day. But if not, um, he still was a, was a great, was a great ranger, you know, not only on the ice, but off the ice as well. And a hall of famer, man. And a, and a hall of fame goaltender and, and really the best, certainly in the post Brodeur era, even though they overlapped in this, who's better than Lundqvist in the past 10, 15 years, man. I mean, he's, he's the King, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the King with no, with no rings, unfortunately. That's, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly, certainly not his fault, man. You know, you can't, the pieces don't always fall in the place, you know, for the flyers, we've had everything but a goaltender over the years and we're in the same spot you are. So yeah. What are you going to do? Well, Hey, hockey season starts up in a couple of weeks. So that's exciting. Just a couple of weeks, man. I started uh, getting back into the flyers podcast so I can start getting my blood flowing for that. Uh, especially now that the Eagles are out of the playoffs, but, but yeah, man. Well, Hey man, uh, I I've chewed your ear for long enough. Uh, I would like to do this again sometime, just, you know, maybe in a few months from now, see where you're at at that point and sure. what else you've been up to and all that stuff. But I appreciate you being on here. I appreciate all you do for reggae music. Got a lot of respect for you, man. And, uh, and thanks for doing it. Thanks brother. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been nice to talk, uh, all the things I love with you. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, it's an honor, a privilege to be on, and I'd be happy to uh, connect down the road again uh, and you know, check in with you, uh, like you said. So uh, yeah, happy man. New Year, bro, and uh, yeah. you know, talk soon. Happy New Year to you too, brother. One love. Cheers. Want to know more about Street Level Uprising? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Did you know that you could get our dub EP absolutely free? Just go to streetleveluprising.com slash seven. That's the number seven. This EP is not available anywhere else. You won't hear it on Spotify. You won't be able to buy it on CD at one of our shows. This EP is just to thank you for your support and features dub versions of seven Street Level Uprising tunes. Check us out on Spotify or Apple Music to hear all three of our studio albums. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Talkin' Reggae. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll talk again soon.